I'm Mary Richter with Richter Farm and Ranch in Thrall, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. We are once again locked, loaded, and ready to roll with another edition of Texas Ag Today. You know the drill. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, there is a very positive outlook for the cattle market here in 2023. Cattle prices have already been at near record levels, and there's more optimism to come. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. A constitutional amendment proposal goes before the Texas House Agriculture and Livestock Committee in reference to the strengthening of right to farm within city limits. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have comments from the author of the legislation on Texas Ag Today. Pest control will, as always, be a big issue for Texas High Plains farmers in the summer season. I'm James Hunt and coming up on Texas Ag Today, some thoughts on avoiding issues with the so-called Green Bridge. The American Farm Bureau Federation signed another agreement with an agricultural manufacturer on right to repair. I'm Chad Smith and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. 2023 is full of optimism when it comes to cattle prices, and we've already seen it in the markets. Fed cattle have traded above 165 so far, and feeder cattle have broken the $2 mark, with lightweight cash pushing $3. Tyler Sheow is a hedging strategist with agmarket.net. And he sees a lot of upside to come. We're pretty positive the cattle market going out for the next 12 to 18 months. USDA came out with the cattle report earlier in the year. It wasn't really big shocker. We've got the lowest beef cow herd we've had since like the 1960s. So we're going to struggle to find enough animals to put in the feedlot. I think the big important thing to watch is going to be the drought in the southern and the central plains. As soon as they get rain, drought busting rain to where they feel like they can take heifers, hold them back, rebuild their herd because they feel like they've got enough feed and hay available for next year. I think that's when you really see that supply of feeder-ready cattle drop and then the race is on for feedlots to go find those feeder cattle. Meteorologists are saying the La Nina weather phenomenon is over and will now begin to transition into an El Nino pattern. That should bring the rain back, but the big question is when will all this happen? If we maintain this drought, if we stay in it again for, you know, the rest of this summer, um, I still see it as uh, positive to feeder cattle prices and, and fat cattle prices. Uh, that, that last big leg up is going to come when the drought gets busted. 
Tyler Sheow with agmarket.net. Corn and sorghum planting is right on schedule this year with 40% of the Texas corn crop now planted and 28% of the sorghum crop in the ground. Of course, that's mostly in south, central, and east Texas, while west Texas and the Panhandle are still waiting to get started. Hagen Hunt farms in the Plainview area of the Panhandle. He says the drought is affecting his planting plans for this spring. It makes it really tough. Um, you know, there's there's several things that I would love to um, imagine doing, but and until we get some moisture, it's kind of tough to really know what to do yet. Um, as of right now, we're going to have to dry plant, except for where we have irrigation, you know, we can pre-water and, and, and possibly, but we're, we're still going to have some help. I'm in a very low water area, so we definitely need some weather changes. And with corn being such a water-demanding crop, Hunt says he may end up planting more sorghum this year. We're definitely thinking about doing some milo on what would have been corn acres. If it had an adequate amount of profile, you know, no doubt it'd be corn. But with the profile and the moisture that we have now, we're definitely considering milo. Hunt usually starts planting corn around the 1st of April. Efforts to protect Texas farmers and ranchers from urban encroachment are making their way through the Texas legislature. Tom Nicoletti goes to Austin for an update. My guest from Austin is State Representative Dwayne Burns. Uh, he is from Cleburne, and uh, he is the author of uh, House Bill 1750 uh, with the strengthening uh, the right to farm legislation, and he is also the author of HJR 126, which went before the House Agriculture and Livestock Committee. Representative Burns, what's the significance of HJR 126? HJR 126 will allow Texans across the state, should it pass, to affirm their belief that farming and ranching is important to the state of Texas. It will give them an opportunity to affirm the private property rights of those that farm and ranch and also affirm the importance of Texas agriculture when it comes to food security and clothing and providing food on tables of Texans and folks across the globe. Over the past 20 years, the Texas population has grown by 12 million people and uh, the uh, estimates are that it's going to grow by another uh, 18 million over the next 20 years. So the right to farm issue is is about farming within the city limits of uh, various metropolitan areas in Texas. That's correct. As our population grows and our urban areas expand, we find areas that have typically been and historically been in agrarian communities that now are surrounded by neighbors. With neighbors sometimes come new regulation and ordinances. And uh, those ordinances aren't always based in true science. And as folks come into Texas, uh, they, they may not be familiar with generally accepted farming practices. So House Bill 1750, along with HJR 126, which would be a constitutional amendment, would protect the rights of those farmers and ranchers as Texas population continues to rise. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Pest control will always be a big issue for Texas High Plains farmers every summer. James Hunt looks at avoiding issues with something called the Green Bridge. Today, we're going back to my recent conversation with Blaine Reed. He's an integrated pest management agent with Texas A&M AgriLife, and he has a bit of advice as we head towards spring planting. For those of you who still have a winter wheat crop going, he says it's a good idea from a pest control aspect to think about where you're going in with seed for your summer crops. The green bridge we always talk about between uh, wheat and corn or sorghum 
particularly with mites, uh, it might be inadvisable to plant corn right beside wheat that's still very green and provide a bridge for things like Banks grass mites or two-spot mites to move directly into that corn. If you have some type of break in that green bridge, it's a little harder for those uh, pests to infest your summer crops. Certainly something to think about. And on a related note, field scouting is an important way to help keep pest issues under control. So a reminder here that coming up on April 13th in Amarillo, AgriLife is offering a field scout school. Blaine Reed says there are less field scouts around these days, and events like the upcoming scout school are necessary to help prepare early career professionals who are going to work in agriculture. Folks that get hired as an agronomist at the co-op or working for a chemical company or early career county agents and the like uh, aren't necessarily coming from the farm background. And so it is still a good, great one-on-one introduction to all the pest species and beneficials and plant measurements and terminology that they'll be seeing throughout the entire summer as they really put to the field, so to speak. Contact AgriLife for more information about that scout school taking place April 13th in Amarillo. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The American Farm Bureau Federation signed another agreement with an agricultural manufacturer on right to repair. Chad Smith has more from Washington. A new memorandum of understanding between the American Farm Bureau Federation, KSIH, and New Holland provides farmers and ranchers the right to repair their own farm equipment. Sam Kiefer, vice president of public policy for the American Farm Bureau, talks about how the agreement will benefit U.S. farmers and ranchers. This agreement follows a previous agreement with John Deere that now represents more than half of the farm market share in the United States. And combined, these agreements ensure that that farmers have the right to repair their own equipment, either individually or through independent repair shops, by giving them assurances to have access to the diagnostic codes and what they mean, specialty tools, parts, information, manuals, things of that nature. Kiefer says the memorandum with KSIH and New Holland is similar to the one with John Deere. In focusing on making sure that individuals have the right to repair their equipment, as well as the opportunity to lean on a trusted advisor, be it in an independent repair shop, to make those repairs for them. He talks about the next steps in moving forward with KSIH, Deer, and potentially other manufacturers. As the conversations continue with Case and with John Deere, we will be interacting as an organization on behalf of our members with the manufacturers. The agreement indicates that we'll be meeting regularly, at least biannually, to discuss how it's going, the experiences of our members, and as technology emerges and there's new capabilities and challenges, we'll be discussing those and identifying if we need to improve, tweak specific items within the MOU. And we will continue to engage in conversations with other manufacturers on behalf of our members. For more information on the MOU, go to fb.org. From Washington, I'm Chad Smith for Texas Ag Today. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department this week confirmed eight new cases of chronic wasting disease in four counties. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And horses are generally susceptible to the COVID-19 virus. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Horses are susceptible to the COVID-19 virus, but Dr. Bob Judd says most of them don't get sick. Dr. John Pasterla from UC Davis indicated at the AAEP convention that a small percentage of healthy racehorses recently tested positive for COVID-19 following a human COVID-19 outbreak in California. This indicates that horses may silently carry the virus and potentially contribute to its spread. We know to stay away from other humans if we have COVID, but we should likely stay away from animals as well. There is some concern that the virus could suddenly adapt to a different species and then bounce back to people. Horses do have a spike protein receptor that is similar to the one in humans, which suggests they might also be able to acquire and transmit the virus. Dr. Posterla ran quantitative PCR testing on nasal secretions for the COVID-19 virus from 667 horses that experienced an acute onset of fever and respiratory signs in January and December of 2020. They also tested 587 horses at Del Mar Racetrack in California in the summer of 2020 and found one common equine pathogen in about one-third of the sick horses tested. However, none of the sick horses tested positive for COVID-19, but 6% of the healthy thoroughbreds tested positive for the virus. Another 1,100 horses that were presented to the teaching hospital at UC Davis were tested and found 3.5% tested positive for COVID. And it is believed the exposure was from humans with or without active COVID infection. Dr. Pasterla also says the virus will likely become more contagious and could cause disease in horses in the future. So we have to monitor the situation. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department has confirmed eight new cases of chronic wasting disease in four Texas counties. Jessica Domo has the story in today's Wildlife Report. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department has confirmed eight new cases of chronic wasting disease in Texas. CWD is a fatal neurological deer disease. According to the department, three cases were confirmed in a deer breeding facility in Zavala County. Another case was confirmed at a breeding facility in Washington County. All four of those cases were detected through live animal testing before the deer were moved to registered release sites. Three cases of CWD were found in a breeding facility in Gonzales County through antemortem and postmortem testing. Officials say that testing was required as part of a herd plan after the facility received CWD-exposed deer from a facility that had a positive CWD case in Uvalde County in 2021. The department also confirmed an additional case of CWD at a release site in Hunt County adjacent to a breeding facility that is already known to have CWD. On Wednesday, officials told the Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission they are awaiting confirmation of two other potential CWD cases. One is in Hamilton County and the other in Frio County. The department is awaiting confirmation from the lab on those tests. 
TPWD and the Texas Animal Health Commission have taken action to secure the facilities where CWD has been confirmed. They say they're investigating the extent of the spread of the disease within those facilities. CWD can be spread to deer, elk, moose, and other members of the cervid family through direct contact with an infected animal or their carcass, or indirectly through infected items in the environment like soil, dust, or forage. We'll have more on these detections in an upcoming episode. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Another up and down trade in the cattle complex on Friday. We closed it out with live cattle mostly higher, feeder cattle mostly lower, while the grain markets took a big jump. We'll check out all of Friday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, visit tfbhealth.com. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. We saw another up and down trade in the cattle complex on Friday when it all shook out on the close. Live cattle finished mostly higher, while feeder cattle were mostly lower. April live cattle up 85 cents at 163 even. The June up 80, 156.60, but August live cattle up 72. 156.42. A big jump in grain prices kept the lid on feeder cattle futures on Friday. March feeders did finish 62 higher at 189.65, but the deferred contracts mostly lower. April feeders down 20, 194.80, with May down a dollar five, 197.55. Cash fed cattle market lower this week here in Texas. We sold cattle at 163. That's a buck lower compared to the previous week. Boxed beef prices were mixed Friday. Choice down a dollar ninety-four at two eighty eighty-four. Select up a dollar eighteen at two seventy oh seven. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. I've got Chris Carter from Carnes County Livestock Exchange down Kennedy Way today. Chris, you're selling today, but tell us how you sold them last week. Last week, we ended up with 641 head of cattle, and the market was steady to stronger in some classes. I said, I sure wish we'd have got more rain. We, we ended up with six tenths of an inch, but uh, hopefully we'll get some more at the end of this week. Walk the pins with it. Number one steers, two to three weight, 205 to 240. Three and four is 214 to 270. Four and five weights, 206 to 260. Five and six is $2 to 226. Six and seven is 186 to 210. And the seven, eight weights, 168 to 195. On the heifers, two to three weight, 177 to two and a quarter. Three and four is 184 to 230. Four and five weights, 174 to 204. Five and six is 179 up to 224. Six and seven is 163 to 179. And the seven and eight weights, 141 to 165. We had 14 Packer bulls last week and high yielding was a dollar four up to dollar eleven. Medium 90 to 97. 96 Packer cows. High yielding was 94 up to a dollar on the best cow. Medium 78 to 84 and the low end 32 to 38. Only had two bred cows last week and they sold from 850 and up to 1400. 
hundred on the best cow, and we had two pair. They sold for nine fifty and seventeen and a quarter. What do you have under the barn right now? Well, it was a little bit slower this week. At the present time, we've got a hundred ninety-two head checked in, and we're looking for about two seventy-five, maybe three hundred come sale time. We've got, excuse me, we've got twenty-eight packer cows and bulls, four palpates, four pairs, and the rest are yearlings. We do have eleven Brammer heifers weighing about six hundred that did come in, and uh, they will be going back to the country. Also next week, we've got a herd dispersal sale. Got about 45 cows coming in. Uh, 20 of the cows will be paired up and the rest will be palpated. And these are going to be some crossbreds, uh, mainly Brangus and Cross, and they're going to be ranching age cattle. Tell everybody how to contact you. For any questions, please call Wed and Rouse at 361-542-0810 or myself at 210-286-5345. Well, neighbor, there's your livestock auction report. We'll see you next time right here as we walk the pens. I'm Larry Marble for Texas Ag Today. Back over to the futures trade now, where lean hogs took a big jump on Friday. April hogs up at dollar forty-two seventy-seven seventeen. The May contract up two thirty-two at eighty-five sixty-seven. Class three milk steady to higher with the March contract unchanged eighteen ten a hundredweight. April class three milk up ten cents nineteen eighty-six a hundred. The cotton market continues to suffer from the outside markets. With all of the bank issues, rising interest rates, and overall nervousness over the economy, the cotton market just can't seem to find its footing. May cotton down 104 points Friday, closing at 76.54. The July down 102, 77.17. With new crop December cotton down 86 points, 78.40 cents. The grain markets got a huge shot in the arm from a rumor on Friday. Reuters reported early in the day that Russia is considering a ban on exports of wheat. That sent the wheat market sharply higher with some of that support spilling over into the corn market. Later in the day, that rumor proved to not be true, but we did hold on to the gains anyway. May corn up 11 and a quarter, 643 a bushel. September corn up 9 and a quarter, 569 and a quarter. But the big gains came in wheat with July Kansas City wheat up 27 and 3 quarters, 834 and a quarter. July Chicago wheat up 26 cents, $7 even. In the energy markets, April natural gas up 3 cents Friday at 218. May West Texas crude down 79 cents. 69.17 a barrel. The financial market slightly higher Friday afternoon. The Dow up 85 points at 32,190. The Nasdaq up 17, 11,806, while the S&P was up 16 at 3,965. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.